0: Thanks for tuning in to your day off podcast hosted by your boys, Corey and Tony. I think by the end of today, I might have another best friend. They're committed to making you fall in love with the hair industry one podcast at a time. Uh, you're going to grab a lot of information. Yeah, you're going to learn a lot. Presented by Hair District and powered by Schedulicity. Without further ado, should we do? Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. Your day off podcast will begin
1: after a word from our sponsors
0: what if payment looked this good? And your tips
1: looked even better. Better yet, what if you could do it all by phone? Norm. Payment by text for small businesses. Barbers, stylists, massage therapists, facialists, you name it. Available now for everyone on Schedulicity.
2: Norm. The modern way to pay.
0: Hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey. And of course, I'm sitting with my best friend, Tony. What's up, buddy? What's happening, brother? This podcast that we're about to record today is honestly one of my favorites. Well, first off, it's the one that we, we get to do every year. And it's definitely one of my, uh, my favorite sit downs with one of my favorite people.
2: Yeah, definitely. He's been a huge mentor in our, in our podcasting career and just as a friend. He's, a, he's really uh, he's an amazing human being and a really amazing mentor.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, uh, there, there's very few people that we would fly to Chicago just to have lunch with and then fly home. And, uh, you know, Gordon's definitely one of those. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so today, uh, today on the podcast, we have Gordon Miller. He's the CEO of Hairbrained. Um, but you know, for us and for uh, the hair industry people, they know him because we bring him in every year to talk about kind of the state of the industry and and, and what we love to do to Gordon is to kind of like uh, tell him, uh, you know, how accurate he was last year or you know the shit that he got wrong last year. So so uh, so we're we're, we're excited about this conversation and um i i can't wait to kind of get into it because i think certainly when gordon and i had a pre-talk about a week ago i was actually a little shocked with the information that he shared with me because um you know it was uh well we'll get into it i don't want to i don't want to <laughs> let the cat out of the back but i have a bunch of questions for it so it's cool so uh, should we get in yeah so mr gordon miller welcome back to uh you know state of the industry
1: Corey and tony my favorite podcasters my 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 well, I do like myself a lot, but my, my second most favorite right. podcast is, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I love January as much for this than I do just about anything else. I look forward to this now. It's become our little tradition, and I'm, I'm excited to, you thought to have me back. Thank you. Absolutely, dude. So is, yeah, this, is our you, third,
0: this is our third year or fourth year? It's our third year. Third. It's our third yeah. year with Gordon. Yeah. So, uh, so d- does that make a tradition? Does three years make a tradition? Uh,
1: if we get through this one, <laughs> so the optimist Gordon is here. I watched I, I, I watched watch a lot of end of the world uh, Netflix uh in the last twenty four or eighteen months, so I I kind of get that end of the world vibe inside me. You know? so I'll try not to think about it.
2: Oh yeah, right, right, man. That sounds like the end of the industry. It's like.
0: Oh, no, we can't. We can't go there.
1: Zombie hairdressers.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, it it is. I don't know if the word's ironic or coincidental or whatever. But once again, we were supposed to do this live because we've done our other ones live and we were going to do it at ISSC, But of course, ISSE was rescheduled for June. So here we are in January without it without a place to sit. So, I mean, let's kind of start there like like. There were so many, we went to the second half of last year, we went to so many shows. I think we went to seven mm-hmm. or eight shows um, uh, at the end of last year. Like, where, where where are we in that world as far as the shows go?
1: I, I think, you know, two things. One is we're in a different version of back then. There's, there's still a lot of unknowns, I said, although I think we have more confidence than ever because of what we're hearing about Omicron. I survived Omicron, you know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, thanks. Um, and, you know, so there's, there is this sense that normalcy is hopefully not too far around the bend, but then obviously lots of other concerns the science folks have. Um, but the fact that you were out and about, that we did have some big shows happen that we got great feedback from those who were there, like amazing feedback, you know, from, from both vendors and others that, you know, they were smaller and um so the, the question really is when it pops back up again, what are we gonna be like? Um, a lot of us, I think, let me say this, um, as a context for everything we're gonna talk about, um, the big smart people outside the industry and, and certainly some inside the industry, when they think about like, what did COVID do to the world other than pain and, and devastation, it accelerated trends. It made things that were already happening go faster. There aren't too many examples of like things that just started because of pandemic, like. Right? They were already happening. And um, some are small, some are less noticeable, others are very noticeable. In the event space, there's been pressure on the events for probably the last decade from the exhibitor side, um, just of growing costs of doing business and and questioning the return, um, in part as the audience itself has changed over time. So shows have been slowly shifting. I've lived through like, I don't know, 40 some years of shows and I've watched it evolve in some pretty big and significant ways. In the early parts of my career, shows were big. Shows were smaller; they were a little bit more regionalized, and so it feels like we're headed a little bit maybe back that direction. A lot of the big brands are not going back to shows in the coming year. They may change their mind at some point. Um, A lot of people are feeling a little differently about travel, you know. But now we've got some inflation happening, economic stuff. So, the next twelve months will have a lot to say about what shows look like in twenty twenty four and beyond. And they may stay similar to the way they were, but i had to predict i'd say they're going to tighten up they're going to be come all a little bit like ibs new york which is a big vital very well attended show but without a lot of big giant manufacturers there um and you know fewer classrooms so again an evolution not a falling apart not not going away just kind of tightening up i think and uh uh, that'll have an impact and i also think that um the, the audience the more sophisticated audience who've long gone to shows but also been frustrated a little bit they're looking for something new and so I, I i expect a resurgence of the old school conferences where you you really had a certain type of salon owner who came together um not that different than the brand events but more neutral so you meet people from everywhere so i predict the return of conferences to the industry in a big way one listen
2: yeah one of the things that we noticed is that people were starving for um in-person education and getting together, uh, with their, you know, fellow peers. And, uh, we, we did notice a lot of independent, um, uh, you know, educators, educators and, and and things like that, but that, to get into these classrooms, there were lines out the door. You couldn't even get into some of these classrooms. Okay. People were starving for, for uh, in-person
1: education. Well, my, my little Mexican joined across the street you know, from my house, when they reopened, there were lines to get in. You would have thought, oh, my God, everybody's desperate for, for a taco. Like, <laughs> desperate. <laughs> I talked to a lot of people who were at the shows. I watched a lot of shows. You know, it was like, oh my God, people are desperate to return to live education. Um, some of that, I would argue, is 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 not an illusion, but it's easy for us to potentially misunderstand what the larger signs may be. I would argue that, you know, that represents what it represents. Those people were in that environment, and that was what they uh, uh, experienced. The real question is, what about everybody else? Like, does that, does that desperation to go stand in line? How how far how deep does it go into the industry? And a lot of us would argue that the jury's still out on that. Um, I did the, uh, the Professional Beauty Association, which also, you know, has ISSE, where we were supposed to get together. You know, they do an annual survey of uh, over... This time they sent it out to 25,000 professionals, salon owners, hairdressers, independents, and just kind of take their temperature they did in September. What do you feel about education? What do you feel about events? What do you feel about everything? What are you actually experiencing right now? Um, It was really optimistic, um, but interestingly, when it came to like um, going to things, it's fascinating. So um, of course, everybody said, yes, I want to go back to a live event. We're, We're humans, of course. I want to go back to a live event. I'm not going to go to just any event. Um, my behaviors changed. And it's not because of safety; it's because of choices. And I think we're all rethinking our time a little bit. But what it said really clearly was: pre-pandemic, as much as twenty-five percent of people don't go to anything. We've forever known that. We don't talk about that. That's a big chunk of the industry. They don't, on an annual basis, don't go to a live event. Twenty-five uh, percent also um, weren't doing a digital event of any kind. Now, looking forward. Um, 25% projected they still wouldn't do anything. Um, about 60% said they'd go to one to five events of some kind, education you know, being the, the, the bigger question. And then a smaller percentage would go to more than that. On the digital, it was fascinating because a similar number We're gonna take digital. So about 60%, one to five classes, but then more than five classes, it was more than double the live classes and it was approaching 30%. The point being that, when you widen out and just start to look at everybody, the industry collectively, a representative sample, I think that what we're gonna discover is absolutely, first of all, everybody wants to go back to live. Some people are willing to go back to live. Other people are gonna be less willing than they were perhaps before. And so it's just a question of at the end, when the dust settles finally on COVID, like what's the math gonna be? Are shows gonna be bigger or smaller? I project smaller. Um, are they gonna matter as much or, or more or less than before? Yes, they will absolutely matter and they'll matter to the people who show up for them. But then if we have this evolution of the brand events, like I can tell you some of the big brands are rolling out their big, big events next year regionally. So I know of two very big brands who do very, very big events where thousands and thousands of people come together and they are planning to break those events up into multiple pieces and put them into regions in the country, um, in ways they've never done before. Stay tuned. I cannot share the details, <laughs> but it's but it's a window into what is happening with events. You know, it's really really fascinating.
0: All right, two questions. One, I'm going to hold you to that. So, when you talk regional events, like um, we did that salon-centric event that was in Wisconsin.
1: Yep, that's a regional.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, what was that called? It would was, it was salon-centric. They had yep, there and Jen Plank was there. And yep, like it, was, yep. it was a salon centric event though. It wasn't like a brand event as far as like, an, you know, another brand. It was just there, I can't think for whatever reason, I can't think of what well, it they was. do
1: there. They do their big national event. Usually in Chicago, sometimes in Wisconsin, where all the salespeople come together and uh-huh. the, and the educators themselves. That's one big event. The last one I went to was February of uh, 2020 here in Chicago. And then they break into, I think they do between five and 10 regional events open to hairdressers and salons. And they, you know, invite in, you know, their customers from that particular part of the country.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely what it was. Yeah. At least that's what it, that's what it yeah. felt. Like. And they've so, done
1: those for years. And I think you're going to see d- distributors double doubling down on those events. Uh-huh. And I think you're going to see distributors leveraging their stores in ways they never have before, or it, or at least in a renewed way. Um, and. and you take a big step back out of the hair industry, like what like what are some of the global trends and, and and particularly American trends that are projected going local is you know all the thought leaders on how we act as people going local. A lot of people are gonna you know look for restaurants that do you know local farm to table. you know, a lot a lot more people are going to be interested in you know just how things are sourced and you know local is better. Um, some people will move away from chains. Um so you know, I think in our industry, you're going to see distributors who have invested gazillions of dollars in, in these thousands of stores look to make them into community centers and people, places where people come together, even more so than than pre-pandemic.
0: I love that. I love that. I love the opportunity that could be there. Yeah. Another question. So if all these brands and and listen, we did we did all the shows last year. We did all of them. Yep. Not on, but the shows in which we did, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of brand support. There wasn't a lot right. of the big brands and stuff like that. Yeah. And and my observation was that it really opened up the space for the independent educator. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and moving forward, whether it's a regional or whether it's a big national show, if the brands aren't going to participate, it, 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 am I correct in that? It will open up the space for a lot more independent educators. Cause like Tony was saying before, like, um, like Ashley Norman, her room was so packed. I mean, it was like, it was literally like 10 or 15 deep outside the door. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so are you, if you're an independent educator, is that, is that where you would, uh, you would kind of like put your focus?
1: Yes and no. So first and foremost, I would say, if anybody wants to, in my opinion, I've been saying this probably for at least five years, so it's not, COVID influence, but COVID, I think, is a proof point around where I have been pointing. To understand the future of big beauty shows, I think all we have to do is look at IBS New York. Um, IBS New York went through a transition almost 15 years ago where most of the big brands pulled out of the show. And that was based on the economics of New York City. Anybody who's been to IBS New York knows the hotels are more expensive there than any place. You're a big brand, and a lot of folks don't understand this. You know, a big brand rolling into an, a premiere and ABS and an IBS, any of those shows, they'll drop half a million to a million dollars in expenses to be there, to bring their teams in. They could go through a hundred bottles in a weekend. I mean it's it's insane, you know, the cost of the space, the the physicality, the there's just shipping in of all that stuff. It's a very big expense. And it's one that typically is not profitable. It's like a breakeven, you know, kind of market. Thing. So as shows got more expensive, like anything else in life, you just hit a point where you're like, well, you have to reevaluate, is that the best way to spend your money? And New York remains one of the most successful shows in the industry financially. So as a business, they're strong and it's packed every year. And to your point, most of the educators are independent, you know, Corey. So I, I think absolutely. Yes. Now there's a caveat. IBS has a third of the classrooms they had compared to when the big brands were there. So the other thing that happens when big brands pull their money out of shows, you know, it's like any business, you're losing a big customer, you know, they spend money to be there. And so they have to kind of shift the economics, they raise their ticket prices, some they raise their floor space for everybody else, you know, they had to just kind of rebalance their costs, and it worked, you know, the attendance has continued to grow, the floor is usually sold out. So all that's happened. But at the same time, they cut back on the number of classrooms, because those classrooms cost the shows a lot of money, people forget that you usually sit in the classrooms for free. So there's no revenue. So we saw way fewer classes. And if you look back a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, we saw the same thing happen at ABS. ABS, like half the classrooms disappeared one year. And that was a reaction to the economics of the show and some of the larger vendors leaving pre-COVID. So yes, independence will be probably top of the list. Um, we also forget many of the brand educators also often work as independents. So a lot of those names will still be there. Um and um, yeah, the shows will make a decision about the economics of how many classrooms they have and need. They'll go out to the people they think will bring, bring in the largest draw. And if those are brand people who can't make it, they'll go down to the B list and the C list and the D list. No offense to anybody who's on any list. I've, I think I've been on all of those lists throughout the course of my career, <laughs> you know, so depending where I was. <laughs> so yes, a, a new kind of opportunity. But we also have to remember there aren't that many slots at a show. Like I, I watch the shows very carefully because I love the shows number one, and they they're such a great microcosm of the industry. You know, there's only so many slots. You know, there's a hundred educators out there who we qualify as the leading independents. You know, maybe five of them. You know, will get a slot. So that that's right. another whole dynamic of okay, because we saw this over the last five years. How many of the the insta stars, the influencers? Um, by the way, you don't even hear that word anymore. You know, like influencer, like nobody talks about that. Now we talk about creators. It's like influencer, <laughs> influencer became a bad word. It's like it's so, but, but somebody sat in a room, was like, now what? Now what? Oh, creators. Um, content creator. Um and then you know, think of those who at its heyday during influencer movement, which is still here, who the names were at the big shows, because they were the same names almost at every show. Yeah,
2: because like with that type of you they usually have a fan base that came to see them. And that maybe not necessarily the education they came to seeing the stardom of the of the so-called influencer.
1: It's usually a mixed bag. You can see it in the classrooms. You know, I re- I remember uh, such a great example is Larissa. You know, Larissa, when she took off, I remember I was going to go meet her for the first time we had chatted and she was doing Butterfly Circus and she was at Premiere and I was going to dinner. And we were in a car and I was going to meet her near a restaurant with some of her folks with one of the brands. And I'm like, Oh, there's Larissa. There's and wait, wait, no, that's not Larissa. That's a girl with a hat that looks like Larissa. Wait, oh, there, <laughs> there, 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 there's Larissa. There's no, that's another girl with a hat and she has two friends also with the same hat. And um, so Larissa definitely brought her fans in. But when you enter the classroom, I think what, what you saw was a amalgamation of those who knew her, you know, like the, you know, the hardcore fans, you know, and they were maybe, you know, 25, 30, you know, 30% of the audience. And then you had those who were new of her. And then you had those who just followed the crowd. There's a line, let's get in it. And those shows did a great job of adding to the exposure and and to the quote unquote fame of all the influencers. It played, I think it played a very big role in helping them grow their careers.
0: I mean, there's no doubt about it. Right. I mean, I think that we had this thing where we had a lot of independent educators that were getting a lot of attention and then the brands kind of like, you know, brought them under their, uh, under their umbrellas. Um, yep. And I kind of think, I kind of think we have like a reverse now of that because it looks like, it looks like the, uh, the brands are, are separating um, their relationships with, with, with most of the influence. I'm sure a, a few of them are going to, are going to mm-hmm. hang on, but, but, you know, I think there's yep. there, once again, there's space again for for the truly, truly independent educator. And I we also know that some of the people that have left the brands as educators, you know, want to be independent. Now, they don't want the relationships anymore.
1: And the, the hard part is, you know, so historically, we've always had an independent, you know, educator movement. Um I, I like to say it's about the third time around for me observing the movement, you know, and it's come in in, in different ways at different times, uh, in terms of what was happening with the industry. You think way back when, you know, the brands got really big, you know, um, really big, like in the the late '80s, early '90s, It had these massive, massive like rock shows inside beauty shows.
0: We call those the Artari Brother years. Thank you. <laughs> you, read, you read my
1: you read my mind. <laughs> And for nobody who experienced it, there's nothing like it today. I mean, to have, I remember a 2000 person seat uh, theater built on the ABS show floor walls and all right in the middle of the right in the middle of the floor you you it felt like you were walking into an Ozzy Osbourne concert and and the Alteri Brothers were going to snort ants off the stage at any moment <laughs> you know, it was like
2: it was like it was
1: it was definitely a crazy time but right after that time a lot of the educators who who became stars went independent because the budget's kind of pulled back again. So we've seen this several times, but here's the big question. How many independent educators, not unlike how many beauty shows or how many magazines or how many brands, how many independent educators will demand support? How many hairdressers are willing to show out whatever the cost of education and ticket price is um, for how many of them? There's a limit to everything. Right, and so it's a it's a combination of educators' abilities to get into certain markets to do things certain ways, um, to perhaps to launch online uh, platforms if if that's what you're going to do. But I would say that I believe that the demand is it has proven already because we had the first run of independent influencers teaching. You guys were in the middle of it, you know. You live We've all lived through it. It's kind of done and now a new version of it's coming back. And I don't believe that this version will be any bigger than the last version. So there's a limit to how many independents can get out there and succeed
0: interesting is that, uh, I said that I'd make fun of you about what you got wrong and what you got right. And you absolutely nailed that. I mean, you absolutely nailed that, 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 that the pendulum of, of the, of the, uh, of the influencer was, was falling. And, and, and I mean, like you said, it, maybe it took a, uh, maybe it took a pandemic to kind of speed that, to speed that up, but Mm -hmm. you absolutely positively nailed that. I don't think that, you know, I don't think that we're it's even weird to go like, who is an influencer, right? Like, it's even weird to even kind of have that conversation.
1: Yeah. All right. So, so. What they get wrong now? I'm a nervous. No, 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 no. Come on,
0: Gordon. You know me. You know, I try to stay on the optimist side.
1: You want to learn what he got wrong?
0: You
2: got to listen to last year's podcast.
0: The last couple of years, actually. So. Gordon, I, when we talked uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, like really optimistic about the conversation that we had about um, salons and, and mm-hmm. what we thought was going to happen last year and what actually happened to stay in the realm of optimism. Mm-hmm. It was pretty optimistic, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the last year, what we thought and, and where we are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, going back to that PBA study that they did, and I, I was lucky enough to be asked to present it at their executive uh, council event. Um closings were way less than anybody anticipated and they've collected data not only from their survey but we you know talked to the big distributors they see what they see the estimate is over the last 18 months about somewhere between five and ten percent of all salons closed you know and stayed closed stayed closed you know 92 percent of salons that closed temporarily have already reopened and some are, you know are still supposedly in the process of doing that the um what's interesting and most people don't know, is about 10% of salons close every year, every year. So every year, you know, there's a lot of salons that go out of business and simultaneously every year for a very long period of time, we, we can see this as a trend, almost the same number of salons open. They don't have a lot to do with each other. It's kind of a rebalancing of the market. So a salon closes perhaps unexpectedly, and there's five people who work there, there's a, there's a good chance one of them might go open a new salon for the rest of the group. They all move over there. So now one closed and one opened. Or coincidentally, you know, one closes, they leave the furnishings, and some kind of hairdresser who's thinking about opening a salon one day goes, oh, my gosh, that's a perfect space, and we don't even have to build it out. Let's move in. So there's business never-ending, you know, ebb and flow of salons coming and going. And it looks like during pandemic, we did not have more salons closed than closed in a typical Year, let alone two years. And really importantly, we did not see the same number of salons open. So think about that for a moment. If fewer salons open, that's less competition. And if not more salons than normal close, net, net, the industry is in a stronger place. We have fewer business units that we would have had in a normal year, taking care of the same number of clients because um, clients seem to. Uh, At least, again, from survey results and a lot of anecdotes, clients have mostly returned. Um, According to the survey, most of them are getting back to their past frequency. Some are coming in more because they've changed services and some are coming in less. Um, and, And so it's kind of a mixed bag, but the data is really optimistic and very interestingly, I can't talk to a brand that says it's not having a record year. So brands came through twenty twenty one very very strong, and brands don't come through things strong if salons aren't strong.
2: Do you think a lot of those salons that survived had to do with the PPP loans?
1: I, I, I think it depends. Well, first of all, it's it's fascinating talking to salons. I recently was uh, a couple months ago I was talking to a salon that was just glowing and how well they were doing, and um, it was kind of a general catch up, you know. And I was like, Well, how did what did you guys do? Like, what was your strategy? You know, and she's like, We just do what we always do. And I was like, Well, like, well, what does that mean? Because it was such a crazy time. And they're like, Oh, well, you know, we're in state X and we kind of never really closed. And I was like, Well, I I thought your state was shut down for like four weeks. And they were like, Well, yeah, you know, that's what they say on the news, but <laughs> <laughs> we, we pretty we were pretty much open, you know. And you know, like I believe it's 17 states that were closed, you know, um six weeks or less for the year. And then you had California that had a really, really difficult time, and everything in between. So there was a good number of salons who had a a, a nominal impact, as as awful as it was. Um, and they get the benefit economically of not having been closed as long. But I think, I don't think anyone's immune from the behavior changes that will come from COVID, this acceleration of how people think about digital, how people think about experience. You can go, go down the list and it's a long list. Um, but I think we, we cannot forget that close to half the country had a very, very different experience than the worst. And where were the worst? Well, the places where all my favorite and most successful hairdressers work and live. New York City, L.A., Southern California, Chicago, you know, uh, Toronto, states that were really hit hard. And so it's easy for us to misunderstand all of it because, you know, we, we, hear, we hear so many stories from those that got hit the hardest.
0: Yeah, it's almost like when you have the, and I don't want to spend too much time here, but it's almost like when you have the COVID conversation it, when it comes to hair salons, you almost have to remove California because they weren't yeah. all to themselves. They were you know, like, what's the rest of the country doing? Um, totally, you know, where yep. where, where California wasn't, because I, I certainly, we have a couple friends that that were forced to to shut down in California, mm-hmm. um, so and you know certainly we know about um, the the big the big salons that that closed down in New York as well.
1: And, you know, what? again, accelerant of trend. And so when you dig into a lot of the stories about salons that have closed, and not speaking of anything individually, and, and there were many who just, it, it happened the way, you know, we saw it happen. But one question you always have to ask yourself is, well, what percentage of those salons were on their way to closure anyway? Or were even even perhaps having the internal conversations in their head going, my rents are insane, and I don't know how much longer I can deal with this. I'm trying to figure it out. And that's just a you know a normal conversation. But someone wow. trying to understand their business, but then COVID happens, and they're like, "That that conversation I was having before, I'm done."
2: Yeah. Some of our friends that they were baby salons, they just opened up. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's a
1: dangerous they- time. That's a dangerous time for a new business. Any new yeah. business, that first two years is a high chance of going under. Most new businesses fail. So you don't know like what would that business have done had their not been a COVID, not saying they wouldn't have made it. There's no way of knowing, but it's a dicey time. You don't have your clientele totally built up yet. You got a lot of cash out, probably, you know, paying for what you had to pay for Maybe you were excited. If you're like most people who start new businesses, you're probably paying too much rent the first year because you weren't smart enough yet to, to be able to negotiate. There's so many factors. So yes,
0: and I mean on top of that, Gordon too is that the way that the uh, the way that the federal um grants were set up is like if you didn't have a business in 2019, yep. you didn't qualify for anything. So if you opened yeah. your business either midway through uh, 2019 or you know the beginning of 2020, if you did that New Year's resolution to open a salon, and you opened one in January 2020, you didn't get any of that federal um yep. any of that federal help and that happened know? to a good friend of ours who opened up in january not even
2: seeing COVID, and get blindsided and close in march yeah you know
1: and and the lesson At twenty
0: thousand a month by, by right. the yeah. way.
1: and the lesson to everybody there should be as sad as sad as it is and we don't want that to ever happen to anybody for any reason but you know from a best practice perspective you open a new business for any reason you should have a backup cash reserve before you open your business. You know, you need to have money in, in the bank. Because, you know, let's say that you open a salon, there's no COVID, but your roof falls off or, or whatever, something that you're gonna have to put out a bunch of cash for. And it's not that unusual. You know, people investing you know, their life savings into something, you got to have a really good kind of cushion and for whatever may come along. Not that people could have estimated how bad this was gonna be, but still. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think, yeah, COVID is definitely a different conversation altogether because it was like, you know, you're, 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 you're losing months and months at a time. It's certainly like California salons, yeah. you know, they, they were, you know, within a year, I think they were open, what, like a, a two months or three months? And, and It was
1: closer to six. I was talking to one the other day. She said we were, we were closed a total of six, but open and closed, open and closed, open and closed, right. you know, and, and that's almost the same as not reopening.
0: Right, exactly. You know,
1: however, however, I know a lot of salons in California killing it right now. You know, now, again, the math is different out there. I'm sure the closers were higher. Here's another weird dynamic about California that is important to note. There is no other state with higher uh, independence than rental. It's, it's off the chart. You know, it's like 80% of the marketplace are independent. Well, it's a different business model. So it's going to come out differently, you know, different business types. Um, perfect example, giant chain salons, you know, great clips, sport clips. They're going to come through different. They're multi-billion dollar companies. They are positioned to survive this kind of stuff in ways that others do not. Um, They have their own challenges, but it's just not the same. So what am I hearing in California as we're coming through pandemic? I remember about probably nine months in talking to several salon, uh, just these working well-known stylists. One of them said to me, "Um, well, we we now have a salon in our garage. And I'm like, what? You know, he's like, we literally have built the salon in our garage. And I'm like, is it, you know, like, temporarily, you know, kind of like outfit it. He's like, Oh no. He's like, it's never going away. And I'm like, so you're moving your business into the house. Like, well, we rent in another salon. So we're changing our situation. There we will be in the suite half the time we've downgraded ourselves. I'm not sure what that meant. I assume less cost. Um, and now we have this other one. And, uh, and it was for inferred, you know, that the garage was off the grid. And a lot of people told me through pandemic in California, their survival strategy was of was doing hair at home, which you know, a lot of logic to it, and coming to a realization pretty quick that if I can do half as many clients, I'll be fine because I'm not sharing the money with my employer or not my employer, I'm not paying rent, or if if in some cases I was employed, I'm not sharing with my employer, but I have I don't have those costs. Um, and I'm not paying taxes. And so and, you know, hmm? yeah. Some that's well, gonna stick. Some of that's gonna stick.
0: Right, so, I mean, there's so much to unpack there because, um Tony and I, we literally have two friends that went to basement salons or you know laundry room salons um d- during the pandemic. um, so that's really interesting, and certainly, where we never ever heard of it's kind of like marijuana you know like 10 years ago we never heard the conversation people had salons in their house but nobody was talking about it kind of thing (laughs) and now now it's like open-air conversation you know like like people will talk about it and open about like yeah i'm I'm gonna open a salon in my house and i don't know all the other legal legalities and stuff i don't know but i know that we're hearing the conversation so that's that's really interesting to me one go ahead we,
2: we have a friend uh who was just recently on the podcast he bought a house and they had like a little pool house or a kind of like a, in, in the backyard and, he, and re, totally redid the pool house into a uh, complete barbershop. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, he's, yeah. I mean, he, he, you See a lot of that going on. Well, yeah.
0: if, 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 and, and, and I'm going to lean on you a little bit, Gordon, but I mean, what's the net on that, right? So, not only do you get this space, so you're not really paying any more rent than you were paying your mortgage or whatever, anyways, and you get to write that space off, right? So, 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 if you, if so, you, if you, if you
1: file it. taxes, if you file taxes, you well, right, we, have to, yeah. we have to assume
0: that everybody's doing. <laughs> oh, <you
1: know>. <laughs> well,
0: I'm not having that conversation.
1: Under the
0: assumption that everybody is running a legal business. Business, you know, well, that- let, me,
1: let me say it this way. You know, it's important to say, um, if they got their shop licensed in their home, if they got whatever they're doing in their home licensed for commercial activity, I would say they're 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 paying their taxes. If they did not, and trust me, a lot of them will not because of the hassle of construction permits and all the things they should have done probably before they put it in. Um, there's a good chance they're not going to pay their taxes, which I I struggle with that as an American, but more importantly from an industry analysis point of view. Anybody who's in that situation in a regular salon, because there are people who who do that wrong as well. I, I hope they're a minority. Or at home, that's an unfair advantage in the marketplace. That, that just kind of messes everything up a little bit.
0: Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you make a prediction because I love to do that to you. Mm-hmm. Is um mm-hmm. so moving forward, we you know we like we're kind of like net positive as far as like or net net negative maybe um as far as salons closing but not salons opening right so so there's more m- better competition or less competition for in this for, moment in this in this moment so moving forward um, because last year was so in 100%, like, I don't know if my salon survives, if I didn't have the federal, um, the federal loan uh, grants mm. and stuff to keep, to keep us, uh, to keep us around moving forward. When those federal grants are no longer available, like 2022, do you predict, do you see, do you think, do you feel, do you, whatever, um, that we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have a lot of closures this year, like maybe more than normal.
1: There's I think the potential is there. I think there was a lot of salons that were probably pondering closings, you know, or maybe it was just a an idea in the back of their minds um, for 2020 um, and possibly for 2021. But then when the word was that hey, there's government money coming, they're like, hey, maybe we'll get through this. Not COVID. Forget about COVID. They were thinking about closing anyway. Right. But now it's like, wait, so, So now we have COVID, which sucks, and and also maybe money cut. So let's hang in there and see how or if we will get through it. I think that had an impact on closings. And I think it had it for both years. I think now we're coming back once the grants are gone. And once the news changes on on the virus, I think people are just going to go back into their normal mindset of, okay, I'm in business. Can I do this? And so I think that there is a chance that closures will go up. Hard to predict, hard to know, because we just don't really know the, the the kind of psychology of closings to date and, and how many did that we're going to. You know, so we're not sure what's left hanging out there, but it feels like there should be more. But I think it will be offset by and I'm going to this is I'm going to go out on a limb on this one in terms of predictions and probably more of a 2023 than 2022. While we continue to sort out what world we're living in, I think there is going to be the biggest spike ever in salon openings. I think we have pent up demand. I think the industry, um, when we watch on social, I think there's a lot of confidence in the air right now. I think people are feeling good about what they've done. Those who've come through it strong. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling, if I can get through this, I can get through anything. I've left commission. I'm now in a suite. I do believe long-term suites will be the incubators of new commission salons. I don't think commission salons are going anywhere. I think they will slowly grow. Um, And by the way, um, the, the mix, commission and and rental hasn't changed that much through COVID, you know, there was was maybe a 5% shift. Um, And um, what people don't realize is 10 years ago, a third of the industry was already rental, you know, so now we're a little bit past, you know, the halfway point, you know, in terms of people who work in salons, that's not a massive shift over 10 years, it didn't all happen during COVID, it slowly happened and COVID kind of supercharged it a little bit. Um, and yes, a lot of people move to suites, but you can't move to suites. There's no vacancies in suites. So let's not forget about that either. That's a whole nother, you know, also conversation, but I predict potentially 2023 record new openings.
0: And now when you, when they're talking about salons, like how do they, how do they count that? Meaning like, like if suite business goes way up or, or, you know, salon businesses go way to, way up, how are they kind of counting that Um who, what is it? Is it licenses that are coming out? Like, how are how how are those numbers um, done?
1: Like so many things in life, kind of like politics. It. It all matters on who's counting the votes. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on? <laughs> Go ahead.
2: So, yeah. So what are your thoughts on? Because there's been a lot of conversations on our podcast about people talking about hybrids.
1: Oh, yeah. OK, so Gordon's take on hybrid. Bad idea. Bad idea. Bad 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 listen everybody bad um, <laughs> and we have proof around this it's been around it hybrid's not a new idea to me, hybrids for most is 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 like uh, well, first custom. of all,
0: let's let's clarify what a hybrid is a hair a hybrid would be like a booth rental situation along with a commission base yeah uh, because it's under one roof right is that is that correct fact?
1: yep okay. rental and commission in in under one roof and in the extreme example it would be rental commission and 1099s all under the same, under the same booth you, you even hear about that 1099 by the way is, is basically illegal nobody should be 1099 hairdressers um it is a rare exception to that but generally from a federal perspective it's completely illegal to 1099 hairdressers um you're either a booth renter you're a commission or you you know you own your own business and so um i think that um um Wait, what was the question?
0: A hybrid. <laughs> a hybrid. Hybrid, you, hybrid, saying, no, hybrid. No, 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 no hybrid. We no have, hybrid.
1: It, yeah, it feels, it's, it's like the, the custard's last stand of business models. So I'm a commission salon. And if you're like most commission salon owners in the past, it was like you, you kind of had a little anti renter sentiment deep in your heart. You know, you maybe didn't talk about it much, but you had your reasons for not being appreciative of that business model. You start losing people. It's like, oh my, what are we going to do? We're trying to be better at how we do what we do. We're still losing people, I'm losing my top burner. You know, um, I'm in the now. I got to do something. Hey, you want to rent a chair? Um, Business model shift, which is significant to how everybody in the business thinks about everything because they're like, wait, so she was leaving because she thought she was going to make more money if she went elsewhere, but now she's staying and she is making more money by staying. How do I get that gig? And so culturally, many find that it just gets really wonky really fast. Legally, you cannot tell a renter what to do. You cannot tell a renter how to dress. You cannot tell a renter what time to come. You cannot tell a renter they can't do hair at two o'clock in the morning should they choose to do hair at two o'clock in the morning. There's a long list of freedoms that are built into the definition by the IRS of a renter. So as soon as you start making this hybrid thing, things can become very confusing. It takes an exceptional leader to be able to do it. And over the last five years, we've watched tons of hybrids come through the industry. And again, it, it, it in my... Experience with hybrids. It was it started as commission salons that moved to 1099 where they said to hairdressers, "It's like, hey, um, you know, if we pay you without taking out your taxes, we can 1099 you, and then you pay for your taxes and your social security." Of course, the hairdressers' tax bill just went up seven and a half percent for social security. They don't necessarily understand it, and again, it's it's technically illegal, and and then once they figure that out, they then move the rental. And I've just watched too many of those swans close. So I don't know of too many examples of hybrids that are successful. However, there are successful hybrids. I just don't see it for mainstream. I think it's, a, it's very problematic.
0: Do you? Um... Like, like I think uh, I think we talked a couple of years ago, Gordon, about uh, Chelsea Jane. She she mm-hmm. did a yep. good job with the with the hybrids, or at least a couple of years ago. Yep. You know, we um, that she was doing a um that she was doing a pretty good job. What is she doing differently, or what is she doing successfully in a hybrid?
1: She's running her s- salon, or, or was last time I talked to her. Very much like any great commission salon would be run. Her her primary focus is education. She's a huge believer and and is active in team building amongst everybody who's there. So she thinks of them as a team. She she's very communal thinking. She you know she educates her staff. She brings everybody in and educates. You come in as a new person, um, as a as an apprentice, as a trainee, and you come in on salary. So she takes all the like the best of old school commission models and has them in place as part of her hybrid. And what's typically happening in hybrid are commission salons that perhaps were had really solid business model practices, and they've moved away from them because we've seen education being decimated in commission salons across the country. Some of the best salons in the country that had two year uh, apprentice programs, they weren't necessarily perfect. Those programs are gone um, because of cost. So she just, you know, she's managed to find a way to just do it right, and and first and foremost, meaning she supports every person in her business. Um, with education and with with culture and and it's it's a it's it's a really perfect formula that's that's hard to emulate unless you as a leader have those things inside you
0: yeah we just talked to sam Daly, and sam's doing a hybrid Mm -hmm. as well however what sam has done is is it's not an open forum so like if you're going to rent a chair from her she she knows who you are and Mm -hmm. she knows that that you're a team player and she knows that 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 you're not going to get in the way of, of stuff. So, you know, but she's done it backwards, right? Because she had, she had a hybrid, she had, was it a high? I don't even know if it's a hybrid, but she had a, she had a, she had both a commission salon and then in a different building, she had a um a, mm-hmm. a, a booth rental situation, but mm-hmm. she took the cream of the crop out of the, out of the, out of there. And then she combined it all into one salon and she just did that. So, you know, only time will tell.
1: Right. Yeah. And again, they will definitely be successful models. There's success in every single model although we know out there um, there are successful salons that do everything wrong and everything illegal, (laughs) you know, I mean, so, you know, with the right person in charge, you know, um, um, I don't know if you watch Narco, you know, on on Netflix. Oh, yeah. You know about the drug cartels, yes. you know? Like a great drug cartel could make business work, you know? So <laughs> so you know, you don't you don't you don't have to be le- even legal, you know, to make everything work, but there are examples of success across pretty much every category we can think of. That's that that's funny.
0: All right, so uh moving forward, dude, 2022, what what are your uh, what are your overall predictions about where the industry lands ends up um all that. I mean, we've kind of like Picked, picked and pieced it, but but what are you saying? Yeah.
1: I think you know probably some of the biggest things. I, this will be the year where digital edu- education really takes off. I mean, it, it it was supercharged, you know, during the pandemic um, by way of Zoom and so many other things. I mean, the PBA survey again spoke to it so clearly. You know that that. Again, so many people in the industry have never participated in enough education. All of us who talk about education, uh, you guys, us, so many others, we say, okay, well, you get ahead in the ed- in this industry is get education. So more access is a good thing. Um, you know, even people who participated in real time education, one or two classes a year was a lot, and now they could take twelve if they want, much of it free, super low cost. I think this young generation was built for digital education. So I think that will be game changing over time. It's not gonna go away, you know, that's for sure. And then I think something really interesting to me, and this reflects my whole career, is just watching the entire marketplace and, and going, you know, again, there are successful people in every category. Um, there are successful people at every age, every generation. You know, there's just, we, those of us in positions like ours, we get to see all the big success stories and go, okay, It's possible no matter what you choose to do. There are examples of great success. Um, And then, you know, we all commiserate about the reasons why so many people maybe don't make it. I think this year, this year we are entering and, and, and I think going into 2023, this is the year of opportunity, like opportunity across like every category. Or you can think of and like most things in life most people are not going to step up most people are not going to lean in most people are going to maybe do slightly revised versions of themselves Um, most of us will not be that different post-pandemic than pre-pandemic maybe we have some health you know sensitivities in our in our mind but we'll be will we be fundamental people I, i i doubt it um but there are those people who are driven to succeed and i think um the door for opportunities never been more open. So people in the past who who may have struggled to get through it and didn't, now's your time. And I don't care. Name a category. You know, um, start with one of the big issues of the pandemic: diversity. This is the opportunity to do something about it. We've had a lot of conversation for the last year and a half about diversity, and there's been a lot done. But I don't think anything that's been done has fundamentally shifted what the industry is or 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 how we are. You know. Um, day-to-day in terms of diversity, uh, we have an opportunity to support Black hairdressers and Black-owned businesses. It's never been here in my entire career. And I don't think we fully stepped up to that yet, but I believe we're on our way to doing so. Um, I think when you look at things like sustainability and different values, leadership, y- you name it, you know, um, doubling down on just the best practices of how to make a lot of money as a hairdresser, all these opportunities are there because the opportunity to connect with people has never been I think, you know, more more profound, you know, people want to get reconnected. If you can look at that as a business opportunity, and I think there'll be a small percentage of hairdressers who absolutely get it, who double, triple down and just go to work, you know, and, and do really good, good work, great customer service, um, and just leverage that shit out of everything. And I think we're going to see people blow up in ways that maybe they would not have. We we won't recognize all of them because you know there, there, a lot of people are just going to be working hard in their local markets. But I think, you know, it is a year ahead of opportunity. And the other side of that coin is change. You know, this is such a great opportunity for us to change the industry, to reshape the industry into what we want it to be and need it to be for our people, our hairdressers, you know, um, reshape how we think about education, reshape what's happening in schools. Um, We talk about diversity, you know, but, you know, what are we doing in schools to do that? And I, and I know schools all over the country have wrapped their arms around that and they're trying their best, but, you know, how do we, how do we lock it into the rules and the law? Um, You know, how, how do we, how do we do everything we can to make this a better industry? This is our moment.
0: Mm, I love that. Yeah, I love that so much, you know. And so much to look forward to. I mean, so much to look forward. And, you know, surprisingly, we're leaving this conversation if we act, a little if optimistic, we act. you know, and like, right. uh, like <laughs> Gordon usually leaves us a little pessimistic. But, uh, <laughs> <no> zombie land? <laughs> Come on. Like, <laughs> but, but this is the year, man, you know, like even Gordon's seeing the light a little bit, you know?
1: Well, that and that is in part because the zombie hairdressers, you know, are very confused and it's, it's really easy to compete with a zombie hairdresser. So, you know, if you got your shit together, you know, <laughs> Get in there and work, you know, get it done.
0: Um, well, on a personal note, Gordon, um, I, I hope we get to see you on the road uh, this year. We, uh, oh, you we will. certainly have missed you the last couple of years. Um, we do plan on being at ABS. So, you know, since that's in your neck of the woods. my word, town. I it's hope we my get town. to see you over, what's it called? Rosemont?
1: Right out by O'Hare. So so, so so for those who are listening who, who maybe think about coming to Chicago, don't make it every year. They just made it a lot easier because they moved back out to the airport. They haven't been out there in about 12 years. And, um, it's great. it's a great facility. It's a great you know kind of entertainment district and And hopefully by April, everybody can you know come in safely and do what do what they want to do. And that was uh, one of the
2: ones we went to
0: last year, and we
2: loved it. We had a great yeah. time, yeah. yeah, it was our
0: first a b s that we had, and I love. I, I never went downtown, but we love the Rosemont. We just loved yeah. how like insular yeah. it was and like how, how the entire town was focused on on servicing the hairdresser. Like yeah. we really love that. We just um um we're gonna jump off in a sec, but uh we just had Frank Folco on the, the president of ABS and um wow. he's optimistic because like Salon Centric is, is coming back to ABS. At least they've committed to coming back. So, you know, some of those brands that we um some of those brands that we missed last year, including Pope Riot, who claimed that they weren't gonna be traveling anymore. But uh, apparently they're going to be back at, at ABS too. So um, I, I, I'm really looking forward to, to ABS, and because it's early April, it it also it, it might be like a kickoff for what the what the what the season or what the show season can look like.
1: Absolutely, uh, you know, a lot of stuff you know still to kind of get figured out by the world. But um, and immediately following them, um, come June, uh, beginning of June, will be premiere. Yep. And I know I just signed up as an educator at Premiere. I'll be doing kind of some women empowerment panels in 2 days in a row um, and oh,
0: Tony I, and I are great for that. If you need a guest,
1: I I, I put you on the list. No one's right. reacting yet, you know. So uh, there will be a dress code. I will be sending <laughs> you personally. I will be picking it up personally. I'm going. To, I'm going to Marshalls to the discount bin rack, <laughs> getting you guys some leggings. Right.
0: <laughs> you don't want to see these legs in
1: any legs. <laughs> I assure you. Oh, I miss you guys so. Thank oh, you, you so much. So much. much for having me. And let me you know congratulate you guys on on continuing to stick with it throughout all of it. You are my favorite competitors. Uh, uh, Whenever I think about the podcast, I was like, God damn, I hope I get more downloads than they do. But we never know. We never know. We just stay friendly competitors and uh, in a good way, good way competition. You guys add so much value to the space, the audio space in particular. And it's been fun watching you guys become Corey and Tony, (laughs) you know, you're like, that's what you are now. You're like, you got little quotes around you. It's Corey and Tony, the whole industry who knows who you are. And uh, I I just so love that and, and really proud of both of you.
0: Well, we, we we appreciate your friendship yeah, and you know we, you. we've mentioned it every time you've come on. You were like the you're kind of like the first person to reach out in support of us. And I was like tickled. I remember I was walking my dog and I get a DM from Gordon Miller. And, and I did, before I even responded to you, I go, I, I, I texted to Tony and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Gordon just responded to me. So it, it was it was a very cool moment for us. And, and you know, you made us feel legit before we uh, we were legit. Yeah, <laughs> always. We will always be grateful to you, brother. Yeah, you know, know.
1: Ditto for the friendship. Ditto for the friendship.
0: Awesome. Mr. Gordon Miller, thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for giving us your perspective and your state of the industry speech. Um, Always. And uh, listen to what we, we've, said it, we've said. it. We've said it. We appreciate the friendship. But thank you very, very much for joining us on You.